You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Good morning. My name is Gavin, and I serve and attend at Redeemer. We're going to be reading Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, and it'll be on the screen behind me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Good morning, Church Redeemer in Odessa. Uh, My name is Cesar Espino. I come from Hobbs, uh, New Mexico. I go to church over there at Taylor Memorial Baptist. Um, My wife, Tiandra, is sitting right here with us. Our two kids, Ashton and Scarlett, are in the nursery right now. Uh, Tiandra actually serves on staff there at Taylor. And it's my pleasure to be here with you guys. It's an honor to be here today. Um, I got the chance to preach Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, that prayer in there, at the beginning of the year at our church uh, at Taylor this year, January 1st. And then shortly after, a really smart man named uh, Dr. Michael Wilder came by and preached the same verse, uh, did much better than I did. And um, he... With that being preached twice in such a short span, our church just kind of got this, this feeling that we ought to be praying this, this passage for ourselves, for other people. And so we've, uh, we've been praying this for y'all. I personally have been praying this for Redeemer Church in Odessa, that y'all be strengthened by the Spirit and grounded and rooted in, in God's love. And so it is really cool to be here today to be able to finish up the book of Ephesians. And uh, thank you, Gavin, for reading that. As we start uh, or we finish up this book right here, um, it is important to remember the context to which Paul is giving this letter to to the people of Ephesus. And he wrote this letter meant for it to be read out loud to the whole church in one sitting, basically, right? And so as the Ephesians near the end of this letter, they have everything, uh, in mind, everything, the whole content of the letter. And, uh, and so as we approach that, let's remember that. Let's take into consideration the entire content of the letter. And so I hope that you've been here for the whole series and listening to, to Tanner. Um, so we're, we're going to go ahead and just start off in verse 10. And before that, I'm just going to do a quick prayer, and then we'll go, we'll go from there. Lord, thank you for today. Lord, I just pray that you speak, that your spirit speak to us this morning. Lord, soften our hearts to listen to your word, convict us where it needs to be convicted, and encourage us where we need encouragement. Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so uh, starting there in verse 10, finally, finally, the, he's going to finish this finally for y'all, but finally for the, for the church at Ephesus as well. He's going to finish off this letter with this transition word, a final call to action from Paul. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The final call from Paul is to stand firm, to stand in strength. But he's not calling us to stand in our own strength. He's calling us to stand in the strength of the Lord. And it's also important to remember that Paul is talking to the church as a collective group. Although this has individual implications, he's re he really wants this to be the whole church as one. And we are basically in the same spot that Eph Ephesus was, right? After the resurrection, waiting for the Lord to return. And so we can take direct application from what Paul is saying into our church today. Not just uh, Redeemer Odessa, but the church of Jesus Christ wide, right? And so he's saying to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We must rely on the power of Christ, on the power of God, and have his strength in order to face the realities that Paul's talking about. And those realities are that we're at war. This section has a lot of warfare language. And we have to be strong in the Lord in order for us to withstand in this war if we're going to survive it. And it, it is because of who we're fighting, it is because of who the war is against that we are to be strong. He says that we may stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The truth about the devil is that he is a skilled warrior. He's, he doesn't only attack us up front in a conventional way, but he attacks us in like guerrilla style warfare, right? He attacks us when we least expect it. He does not play fair. He does not give quarter. <laughs> Words are hard sometimes. But, but that is who we're up against, right? Satan. Satan has had thousands and thousands of years to hone his craft. As the word schemes, the Greek word there implies a method. He has a method. He knows the method. He's, he's trained on it. He's practiced it for thousands of years. And his method is to deceive. He studied the method of deception for thousands and thousands of years. And if we look, this is his MO from the beginning, right? He deceived Adam and Eve into rebelling against God. He, he still deceives today. He keeps on deceiving. He deceived angels to follow him. And they knew who God was. They were in his presence, and he was able to deceive them. And so this is a strong uh, person, right, a strong entity who we're up against. Think about all the places in human history where things have gone a way that, you know, God does not want it to go. It's because the devil is he's not in control. God is sovereign over everything, but the devil can scheme up in this world. As we've listened in Ephesians, we know that he is the prince of air, the prince of this current world. And so uh, think about how he is doing that today with you. Not you as an individual, although it is, this is a call to an individual, but you as a church, right? 
the church in general? How is the devil scheming against the church? It is important for us to understand who we're up against. That way we can effectively face the attacks of the devil, his methods. And it says here that we're wrestling not just against a single person. It's not just Satan. He's not omnipresent like God is, right? He can't be everywhere at once. But he does have this great army at his disposal. All the um, angels that he deceived are now at his disposal. And that's what Paul says when he talks about principalities against authorities, against cosmic powers. They're organized. This army of Satan is organized. And they have to, there's a chain of command that needs to happen in order for them to wage war effectively. And the term to wrestle or to struggle, as some translations put it, means that implicates a close combat scenario, right? It's not like we're fighting a long-range war against the evil one. He's not like launching, you know, IBMs or, or blanket runs against us. He's precise in the way he attacks. His army is precise in the way they do things. It's a, it's a personal struggle, hand-to-hand combat. This is the reality for which Paul tells us that we ought to stand strong because we are at war. There is a war happening. It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against a spiritual entity, spiritual entities, right? And just a little warning here about we can overdo this, right? We can say everything is the devil's fault. Everything that happens to us is because of the devil. It's not true all the time. Sometimes things just happen. Sometimes ourselves, our own sin. We cause really bad things to happen. I know I do it all the time, right? And so we shouldn't say that everything is the devil's fault, right? But this can also lead us to not live in that reality, but because it is a reality. And so we ought to have a good balance of realizing that this is something that's happening, but not always implicated all to the devil. Paul is telling us that this is a reality, so we ought to listen to what he has to say. So how do we deal with such a strong and cunning individual? Verse 13 says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Paul says that by standing fast in the strength of the Lord and that we wear the equipment that the Lord has provided for us, the whole armor, we can withstand that evil day. And then he says this, having done all. When he talks about having done all, really this is where the Ephesians would have thought of the whole letter, right? The first two chapters, Paul is talking about who God is, his plan for salvation. That has to be true first before we can put on the armor of God. Then he talks about being strengthened by the Spirit. That has to be done first before we can... Or not first, because the armor is available to all Christians, but that has to be done also, right? That you have to be saved before you can do this. You have to live a Christian life in the way that Paul has called us since chapter 4 through chapter 6 in order to be fit. And what I mean by fit is not that we make ourselves fit to wear the armor of God, but think about it like this illustration that Paul is using of a soldier. If a, if a soldier is really like, scrawny, can't really hold up his shield. It's not really that effective. It still protects him, but it's not effective. In order for us to be effective in the way we um, stand, we have to rely on the Lord's strength and rely on his power. And doing all means that we 
follow the Lord to salvation and that we submit to the Lord's call in how we live our life the way that Paul spoke to us from verse 4 to verse 6, right? That's how we arm ourselves up by having salvation, by following the Lord, and then finally by standing in his strength and putting on this armor. And twice um, in this section, he is said to put on the whole armor of God, put on the whole armor of God, right? It is important that we put this armor on completely and not only in part. One of my favorite movies is uh, Black Hawk Down. I don't know if you've, if you've uh, watched this movie, if you have. That's great. It's awesome. Awesome movie. If you haven't, you should watch it. Uh, when they're getting ready to go on their mission, there's this, these soldiers, you know, they're gearing up, they're getting ready, and one of the soldiers takes this plate from the back of his armor carrier. He takes the plate out and says, I don't plan on getting shot in the back, and throws it away. He's not wearing it, right? It's going to make him lighter. It's going to make him, you know, he thinks it's going to make him faster. A couple of guys do the same thing. One of these guys ends up getting shot in the back, and he doesn't have his plate carrier, right? Similarly, Similarly, we ought to wear the whole armor because the armor is protecting the different parts of our sensitive body, and we have to put it all on. That's why Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. It must be worn completely and as intended to be effective. By doing this, standing in God's might, and by wearing the armor that he provided, we are able to withstand the enemy. The, this phrase in verse 13 implies two things, that there are those who withstand and that there are those who succumb to the evil day. The way to withstand is to trust in the Lord and to rely on his might. The way we succumb is by standing in our own strength and relying on our own power. Now, what do I mean by succumb? I don't mean that a Christian will succumb to the devil and then not be a Christian. That's not what I mean. I mean that there are those who don't take up salvation. They don't put on the armor of God, and they succumb ultimately. But also in our lives, we have to be honest that sometimes we do give in to the devil's attacks in our minds. Sometimes he tells us that we're not enough, and we believe that for a while, right? I know I, myself, I give in to temptation once in a while, right? And so this is in the battle, we ought to wear the armor of God for those reasons. Ultimately, if you have salvation, you're saved, you're secure in that salvation. But for those who haven't had salvation, for those who haven't put their trust in Jesus, ultimately they do succumb to the devil's lies and deceits. We see that in our world today. The Ephesians saw it in their world then. So what is this option? God's option always succeeds, right? The, the option that God gives us to stand strong and to wear his whole army, armor always succeeds. So what is that armor? Verse 14, he starts, Paul is going to give this an illustration of a soldier wearing the armor, and he's thinking of a first century soldier, a Roman soldier, right? So all these illustrations kind of point to that. It says this, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This illustration is of a soldier standing fast for the defense of the city. These are defensive 
armor that we are to put on against these attacks. The first one is a belt, the belt of truth. For the Roman soldier, that belt was probably a leather belt with some armor around it, probably some straps down the front, and it was also where they held their sword. It's sort of the base from where their whole armor starts, starts happening, and this is the truth. God's truth must be the base from which we operate. God's truth is objective. That means it doesn't change. That means it's always true. And so when you hear this, you may hear this now, uh, your truth is not my truth. And, and if you hear that, your answer should be, well, is that true for you or true for me? Right? Because it's a self-defeating statement. Or there is no such thing as objective truth. Well, is that true? Because if that's true, then, then actually that's, you know, it's a self-defeating statement. The truth is God's word is objectively true. What God tells us is true no matter what. He is the author of truth. It will stand forever. It stood with the Hebrews. It stood in the first century. It stands now. It will stand in the future. God's word is always true, and that must be the base from which we operate. The truth of God's word serves to protect us from an attack, and it's the base from where we will launch an offensive later on in this chapter. The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate in the Roman armor is probably the most notable part of the armor, right? It's, it's what stands out the most. And it's also protecting some very vital organs, the lungs, right, the chest, the heart. That's our most vital organ in this war is our heart because that's where the attacks of the evil one are going to, to, to matter the most. It's in our heart. This must be a full, on full display that we put on the righteousness. However, let us remember that Paul is not telling us to put on our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. Right? Our righteousness is faulty. It's defective. It can be pierced quite easily. Christ's righteousness is not. Christ's righteousness can withstand all those assaults. And that is the goodness of the gospel, is that we don't have to rely on our own righteousness. For those who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, they are given his righteousness. Now we can take his righteousness, his righteousness and protect, protect our hearts with it. Wear Christ's righteousness with pride. Wear it for your own well-being as well. The next one is shoes, and for shoes, he says, readiness to spread the gospel. Good shoes equals quick feet. Soldiers with, no, with bad shoes usually can't move the way they're supposed to. Footwork is really important in warfare, and, and especially in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Fast feet spread the gospel, and good shoes to protect our souls from when spreading the gospel gets rough. Because it is a rough road to spread the gospel, right? And that's why we have to fasten those shoes so that uh, we can take the good news of Jesus Christ to the people who don't know it. The next one, and he says, in all circumstances and above all, we must always remember to protect ourselves by using the, the shield of faith. For the Roman soldier, that shield was tall, right? It protected the soldier from top to bottom. It completely protected him. And not only that, they use it to protect each other. If you, if you take a picture of a Roman phalanx, right, those shields are protecting the whole group of, uh, of soldiers. Without the shield, the Roman soldier was just a large target, 
He may have hard armor, but without the shield, he was just a large target. Faith in Jesus guards men completely from head to toe. Without faith, we cannot withstand the attacks of the enemy. In all circumstances, we must guard ourselves with faith. The shield protects both the armor and the man wearing the armor. Without faith, truth, we can't have objective truth. Because without faith, we'll falter in following that objective truth. Without faith, we can't have readiness to spread the gospel. How can you spread something you don't believe? Without faith, we can't have readiness to spread the gospel. Without faith, we don't have the right righteousness. If we, don't, if we put our faith in our own righteousness, that's defective. With, without faith, you cannot receive the righteousness of Christ. That's why the whole letter comes into play here, because first it's what God did and salvation, and, and now we're able to stand in the, in the armor that Christ has provided for us. Remember that the enemy wants to attack our hearts. He wants to make us anxious, anxious, right? Following God's truth in faith, it takes away that anxiety because of the truth of, of God's truth. It's just true, always been true. When you read the pages and you realize how faithful he's been, we don't have anxiety anymore for what may come because we know that we can trust in his promises. The next one is the helmet of salvation. This helmet also protects a very vital part, which is the head. The head, you know, it can be rough without a head. And the, the part where we're protecting our head with is that salvation. And really, we can talk, think about here, when the enemies are attacking our head, he's attacking our mental state. He, he wants to make us anxious. He wants to anxious, not ancient. He wants to anxious. He wants to make us depressed. Right? He wants to lie to us, to tell us that we are not safe in our salvation. But by putting on this helmet, guarding our heads from the reality that salvation has already been won at the cross. Being secure in the salvation allows us to live anxious-free, anxiety-free. I'm just going to say that. We already know the outcome of the war. We already know what happens in the end. And that's why we can have joy in that salvation, even when the circumstance seems bleak. Put on the helmet of salvation. Finally, we get this transition from the defensive to the offensive, and this next part of the armor is both an offensive weapon and a defensive weapon. It's the sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Right? The sword is profitable in both defensive and offensive warfare. If we rest in God's war, word we, and allow it to change who we are, we can protect ourselves from these attacks, these schemes of Satan, and we can also fight back with the word, with the truth, that if we stand firm in the word. This is our sword. This is our weapon. Nothing can stand against this weapon. This is like the ultimate sword that can never break, right? And uh, God's word will never break. And you can be secure in that. And then we do this transition from, offensive to, from defensive to offensive weapons. And we keep reading there in verse 18. We're going to get the ultimate offensive weapon. Verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit. With all prayer and supplication, 
To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The final weapon, the ultimate weapon, is prayer. God allows us to pray for each other, intercession, um, and we ought to do this at all times, like Paul says. We ought to pray in the Spirit at all times and actually allow the Spirit to lead us in our prayer. Have you ever prayed without knowing what, or you know, knelt down or wanted to ask something of God but didn't actually know what it was that you wanted to ask God? In those moments, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. That's what the, that's what the Word of God says. In those moments, we ought to let the Spirit lead us in that prayer because we truly don't know what we want or what we need, but the Spirit knows exactly what we need. And for the believer, he does intercede for us in that way. Paul calls us to pray for everything on every occasion. All prayer means all types of prayers. We're going through this uh, section in Psalms right now. We kind of took a break from our, uh, from our John, and we're going into Psalms. And Psalm has reminded me that we ought to pray when salvation seems bleak. We ought to pray when salvation seems far off. But also in the moment, we ought to pray for salvation. And after once salvation happens, we ought to pray and praise the Lord for it. Pray at all times, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether salvation seems so far off, whether you feel like you're far from the Lord, that's when you should be praying the hardest. And when you feel like you're really close, then you should be praying harder than that. Praying at all times. Paul urges the church at Ephesus to pray for him. He really wants them to pray for him because of what he's going through. I also ask for prayer and extend the challenge to you to pray for those around you. Pray for those around you who are taking the gospel somewhere. Pray for those around you who don't have the gospel. It was really a life-changing moment for me when I realized that I was just praying for myself all the time. Lord, I need this. Lord, help me do this. And it was not bad prayer. It was prayer that I should have been doing. But when I realized that I hadn't prayed for those around me, that I needed to pray for those who were also in leadership, for those who were going to take the gospel places, for those people that I knew didn't have the gospel, my prayers have just been filled for prayer, praying for other people. And I challenge you to do the same because I know that that will happen for you also. right? And when we pray for each other, Remember, this is talking to the whole church. When you pray for one another, that is when prayer is going to be effective. And when you pray in God's will, that's when you'll find joy and you'll be encouraged that you'll see God answer those prayers. It will gladden your spirit and cause you to rejoice. Finally, Paul is going to end this letter with a final greeting. Verse 21, so that you also may know how I am. I am what I am doing is sending Tisaises, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. 
Peace be to you, brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The final greeting includes this man who is going to update the church on how Paul's doing. Paul's incarcerated at the moment. He's in chains. But he wants the church at Ephesus to be encouraged by this, which is kind of weird because if you told me that my pastor or the guy who planted my church was in chains, it would not be a very encouraging moment. But Paul has already told them why this is encouraging to them. He's already told them the power that they're standing with, chapters 1 and 2. He's already prayed for them to be strengthened, chapter 3. He's already told them how they ought to live their Christian life, chapter 4 through 6. And now he's telling them that if they want to stand firm, they have to do it with God and not with Paul. Paul has also told them that the reason he's in chains is because of the gospel. And he's already told them that, he's, that this is a grace in his life to be in chains for taking the gospel to people like the Ephesians. These are Gentile people who would not have heard the gospel if not for people like Paul. He's saying it's a grace to be part of God's plan. He leaves them with his benediction and hope that they can be at peace and grounded in love and faith, which comes from God the Father and given through Jesus. Right? It's only through God the Father, through the Spirit, to Jesus Christ, that they can receive love and faith and grace. Love that is incorruptible. The truth of today's text leaves us with two takeaways. The first one is that we're at war. Right? It is important to identify the enemy and who the enemy is. When the U.S. was at war with Afghanistan, they'd go, they'd take these patrols and they'd go into these towns and the people would be dressed up like villagers. And so they didn't know who was who, right? And, but at night, they would dress in Taliban clothing, and they would go shoot at them. And it was really hard for Americans to wage that war in that way because they didn't know who the enemy was. It is important to identify the enemy. If we're just shooting arrows, not even knowing who we're up against, we're not in for a good time, right? We're going to miss. We're going to offend our brothers. We're not fighting against flesh. Sometimes we can forget that. Instead, we are fighting in the spiritual realm. Let's love our neighbors, even those who seem like they're fighting up against us because that's what the Lord Jesus calls us to do is to love our enemies. And how can we show them the gospel? Through love, right? But let's remember that the reason they're doing what they're doing is because of sin, because they're being deceived by Satan and his army. Second, there's two outcomes for those who wrestle against the enemy. The truth is that it's not just Christians who are fighting a war against the evil one. The evil one has declared war against humanity in general, and he wants to take as many of them with him as he can, just like he did those angels, right? There's two outcomes. There's the ones who would stand and the ones who succumb. Believers would stand the attacks from Satan by standing in God's power and by putting on the whole armor which God provides. For unbelievers, the reality is grim. You can't survive without faith in Jesus without following and being submitted to him as Lord and Savior. There is no defense for those who don't know God. You have to submit to him as king and provider, and he will provide everything you need. The final reminder, again, is that this is written to the church in general. Church, stand firm with one another. Pray for one another, right? 
help out your brother when it seems that he forgot to put on Christ's righteousness, when he forgot and he put on his own righteousness, right? Don't be like that guy in Black Hawk Down who made people take out their, their armor. Help them put it on. It's as a church, we stand together. It's only as a group that we can do this. And not just Redeemer Church, but the church in general. Let us stand in God's power. Be reliant on him that we may withstand also the attack of the enemy. Let's pray.